Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And what a week we have in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We have the Sunday of the prodigal son. That's the gospel story in Luke of the prodigal son. You know, that one's probably one of the most famous gospel stories that there is. It's one of those, you too can be a great preacher gospels. <laughs> it's, it's just so rich and has such a, a very clear and profound message. It actually has a number of messages within it, but it's very, very dramatic, as you know and one that's very close to home to all of us, something we encounter and know about in life. But at the same time, we have the feast of the encounter of our Lord with Simeon, the older Simeon, in the temple, also called the presentation of the temple in the Latin rite. It is when Christ is presented in the temple by his mother and his foster father, Joseph, 40 days, 40 days after his birth. And because it's 40 days after his birth, and the first echoes of the oncoming season of Lent overlap, we have this rather interesting fusion this week. It reminds me very much of relay baton races. Those are always one of my favorites when I remember watching you know, the Olympics, like the Summer Olympics. What I would enjoy is the baton race because it was not only a race, you had four people on the team, four runners, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. And the idea is that the runners have to pass the baton to the next runner. And then, of course, whoever gets to the finish line first with the baton wins. And the critical thing is to pass that baton, because if you don't do it right, you drop it, then you're really in trouble. But the key, though, in trying to pass that baton is that the runners have to, in a sense, overlap. In other words, the runner waiting for the baton has to start out running already. He can't just stand there and wait and then start running. He has to already be running and the one carrying the baton behind him has to catch up to him and pass that baton. So you don't lose any time. So that's the tricky part of it. Well, that's what's happening now in the liturgical calendar. We have sort of a passing of the baton 
where the season that was just passed, the incarnational season, that season of Christ's manifestation, in other words, the descending part of the liturgical calendar, the descension of Christ, his condescension, his coming down, you know, that downward movement, his incarnation coming among us is now going to start to hit bottom, as it were, and kind of rise up into the Paschal season, the height of the Paschal season, where God, as he has come down to earth to become one of us, will then take us up to heaven with him. That's the full cycle. It's the condescending and the ascending, as we say in the liturgy. Christ descent, his descending into birth in a cave and into the waters of the Jordan at his baptism, all of that is our ascending. It's one basic rhythm with two complementary parts to it. The Feast of the Encounter of Simeon is the last of the examples of Christ descending and condescending, or his humiliation, his humbling. In other words, in being brought to the temple 40 days after his birth, he is in compliance, or his parents are in compliance, with the Jewish custom, the Old Testament custom at the time, where you would bring the firstborn son to be presented in the temple. In this case, he's being brought and held in the arms of the, they call him the just elder Simeon. Then there is the prophetess Anna on the side there, who also proclaims something profound as well, that she and then Simeon, the elder Simeon, both basically proclaim that, hey, this is it. This is the guy. This is the Messiah. And the just elder Simeon goes so far as to say, now you may dismiss your servant, O Lord, because my eyes have seen. Imagine you hold God in your hands. You hold what he was waiting for. These two devout Jewish people were, of course, waiting for the Messiah, and there he is in the arms of Simeon. So Simeon basically proclaims, what else do I have to live for? What else is there in this life? I have held God in my arms, the Messiah that we waited for. At the same time, this humiliation now will turn into our humiliation, our humiliating ourselves, and we, by that we don't mean a negative a psychological kind of abusive put-down. We mean the humility, the humiliation involved in real repentance. So as God has descended now, in other words, his divine humility, his self-emptying, will give rise now to our emptying, our humility, as we move into the season of repentance. And that's how we will rise up with Christ, but only after going through our humility. And finally, at the end of this week, we have the first All Souls Saturday. The All Souls Saturday is where in the Byzantine calendar, we pray for all deceased, all of our deceased family and relatives, and we mention them by name. We actually put their names in a book. It's called the diptychs. It means like two, two parts. Priests will name them out loud during the Panachina service, which is a memorial service for the deceased that happens after the liturgy for the deceased. And this will happen four times during Lent on these holy Saturdays of the deceased. We call them All Souls Saturdays. And then it'll culminate in the All Saints, which comes after Pentecost. So we actually submit names of our relatives to the priest, and in the service, in the service, he recites those names out loud. So we've got now the Sunday of the prodigal son, we've got the overlap, the passing of the baton of the incarnational season with the feast of the encounter of the Lord with Simeon. And then we've got the prayer for the deceased. It's a very, very rich, rich week. 
lots of nice overlap there between the two seasons. You see, we're in the part of the season, the transitional part, that gives us a foreshadow, an echo of the Lenten season to come. And this is very important and very significant, very relevant, because this follows a fundamental rhythm, which I'm going to call the bell curve. A bell curve is actually a fundamental rhythm found in life. If you take a bell curve, you know, it looks like a, you know, like a roller coaster. There's a rising part, there's the peak, and then there's the falling part. If you take that, turn it sideways, turn it upside down, turn it sideways again, turn it right side up, you have then the S-curve, which is used throughout creation in flowers and plants and the forms and lines of the human body and animals and so on. You'll see the S-curve everywhere, you know, flipped around, you know, this side, this side, this side, like variations in a theme like they do in music. But when not flipped on its side, when it's just right side up, it's the bell curve. What's significant about the bell curve is that it's a fundamental rhythm of life that is congruent with how we actually live, especially as human beings. We don't live by rushing into something and then going cold turkey, as they say, crash landing. We don't do that. That's obviously not healthy. At least we're not made for that. We do that all the time in our culture, unfortunately. But we are made to have an, a kind of an approach to things in stages, an introduction, a rising action, the climactic moment or peak moment, then a what we call a falling action, but it's a gradual falling, and then a resolution. Now, that should sound a little familiar to you if you ever watch movies, read stories, attend plays. They use that same rhythm. Think about it. Think about a great movie. You have the, sort of the introduction of the characters, it sort of builds. It's a little bit, sometimes movies are a little bit slow, a little bit, even somewhat, maybe not as interesting at the beginning, but they're setting it up. It's the rising action, introducing the characters and bringing in the dynamics that will all come together at the peak. And the peak is usually a crisis point. You know, is the hero going to make it? Will they be saved? And then here comes the resolution where the person is saved or they make that great conversion or great choice that's a pivotal choice in their life if they're struggling with something on a more psycho-spiritual nature. And then after that comes the resolution, sort of the, the happy part, the, the nice, nice stuff that happens after having gone through that resolution and then the happy ending. And you'll see that rhythm in all kinds of places and things, realities, music, art, theater, drama, the movies, and as I mentioned, flipped all around as a visual motif in nature. It's one of those secrets of life that we've discovered that God has woven into his order of creation, and I emphasize the word order. So this is what we're going through, and, and the church takes us through this in its ingenious way, that, that bell curve. So we just don't rush into something, go cold turkey, just make it kind of nominal. Okay, we did this. No, you, you move into it. You get your game face on, as they say. Then you enter into it more and more deeply, more intensely, and then you gradually come out of it. That's liturgy. That's how the sacraments are. It's how life is. That's how everything is. And we experience that in the genius of the church's liturgical life. And we're certainly doing it now as we move and transition. We have the rising action, the falling action of the incarnational season, and now the rising action all at the same time of the penitential season. It's absolutely ingenious and very good for our psyche, our psycho-spiritual makeup, the rhythm of the bell curve. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this bell curve and the season that we are entering now in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Tom Lasoya, your host, as we are in this, I'm going to call it the baton race and the bell curve. I'm using a number of images to try to describe this magnificent, ingenious, fascinating time of the liturgical calendar. See, I get all excited about this stuff. I hope you do too. Well, I live it. It's my life. I love it. I was attracted to it. I wanted to live this life when I discerned my vocation to the priesthood. I found it beautiful and wonderful. I wanted to live this way, live the liturgy. Liturgy has the blueprint. And right now, that blueprint includes this wonderful bell curve, this transition, this baton race, where we're passing the baton from the incarnational season to the Lenten season. And one of the steps in that are the different Sundays that have different themes leading up to this penitential season of Lent. And today's theme, as I mentioned, is the Sunday of the prodigal son, that, that wonderful, marvelous story in the gospel about the son who went to his father, the younger of the two sons, he had an older brother, who went to his father. And we have to remember, it's always about the details. Always look for the details. And sometimes it's the smallest word in the passage that makes the difference. When the son goes to his father, we have to remember what he did. He looks his father in the eye and he basically tells his father, pretend you're dead. 
and give me my inheritance. In other words, he tells his father that this son's lust for money and selfishness is more important. He cherishes that more than his own father. Because it's the only way you would have gotten the inheritance. It only comes after the father dies. So basically he says, give it to me now. You're dead to me, dad. I'm, I'm running off. I'm going to have fun. It's incredible. The narcissism, the rebellion, the insolence, the arrogance. It's what I see a lot today and oftentimes in, in young people. It's when they choose to get married outside the church, even though they're born and raised in the church and they expect their parents to be there and they don't understand the hurt of their parents. It's almost it's like a social pathology almost where you don't really feel the hurt that you're inflicting on your parents. I have to admit, I see this a lot as a pastor nowadays. Well, this is what this son did, the prodigal son did. He was acting like a sociopath. See, a sociopath is someone who commits hurt on someone but doesn't feel it, does not understand what they're doing. They have no regard. There's just nothing there that lets them know what it is that they've done and the hurt that they've incurred. They just don't see it. They just don't feel it. I call it like sociopathic. Well, that's how this prodigal son was. And what he did was when he took the inheritance that he would have had from his father, he goes off and he, and he squanders it. He, he chooses what he thinks is a better way, turns his back on his father. And the father, amazingly, just took it, just kind of took it. Now, I'm not saying the father wimped out or anything, but somehow he must have known that once the son did that to him, there was nothing the father could have done to change his heart at that moment. And many parents feel that way today. There's just nothing I can do. This kid's mind is made up. They have left the church, left the faith, or they're going to do this no matter what I say. And the father, symbolizing God the Father, waits in hopeful anticipation for the day when the son might come to his senses. And in the original text of the Bible, the Greek, what this says, when, when it says that the son came to his senses, it actually technically means he came to himself. And in the liturgical texts, again, it's always consistent, the scripture, the text, the liturgy. When he said, I came to myself, we see in the liturgical text where it said that he turns back. It says here in one of the prayers, O oh, Father of mercy, I have separated myself from you. Do not abandon me nor deprive me of your heavenly kingdom. For the evil enemy has stripped me and taken away all my wealth. I have foolishly squandered my spiritual treasure, but now I arise and return to you, saying, Accept me as one of your servants. For you're the one who stretches out your hands on the cross to deliver me from the evil monster. And here's the, here's the key. Here's the smash ending. To clothe me once again in my true robe. My true robe. You see, what happened was, and this is why in the scripture, the actual translation is literally would be, he came back to himself. Our true self, as it says in the prayer, consistent with the scripture, is to live and be in the image likeness of God, to be a faithful, loving son to the Father in heaven, symbolized, of course, by the prodigal son and his father. And so sin, what it does, it's sin is really a choice for us to not to be ourselves. See, we oftentimes define our humanness as though it were defined by our weakness, our sin. Whenever we sin, we often say, or someone might say to us, well, you're an only human, 
or we get upset by some of our failures. We get angry about ourselves, about something we did that we failed or something stupid. And someone might say to us, well, don't feel too bad. You're only human. Well, that's actually not true. You have to almost add a little appendage to that, an addendum, and say, it's okay. You're human, but you have a fallen side. And that's why this happened or why you did something stupid. So we need to add that on because it's not accurate to say you're only human when we do something wrong, sin or some kind of foible or stupid thing. It's really more true to say you're only human when you do something wonderful, something that reflects God, something that harkens back to our true identity, our image and likeness of God. So the liturgical text will say that, and the scripture will say that the prodigal son returns to himself, his true self, the robe, his true, the robe of his true self, his true identity. And that's what all sin does. All sin is really a choice to be other than who we are. You see, animals, think about animals, think about your dog, your cat, your pet. They're always consistent, aren't they? Or they may do what we call misbehave, but not really misbehaving. They're just being who they are. We just want them to be a little different. So they're really not choosing to do something wrong or sinful. They're just acting as a dog or a cat or whatever animal you have. The same thing with the animals in the wild. They cannot not act as a dog or cat. They just can't do it. They can't choose not to be or act as they are. Maybe they won't listen to us, you know, our command or whatever. It's only because they're being a dog. When my dog is on a scent of another animal, forget it. No matter what you do to him, he's not going to come back. At least I haven't been able to train him to after all these years. But it's because he's being a dog, he is programmed. The, the, the favorite thing, the thing he's programmed to do is to get on the scent, to hunt. And once he's in that zone, nothing can change him. So he's not being disobedient because he's choosing to be like the prodigal son. He's just being consistent with what he is as a dog. And, and that overrides my request to bring him here, to come or my command to come. <laughs> so the human person is the only person, because we have free will, that can act other than who and what we are. And that is a sign of God's tremendous gift to us as free will. But you know, our gift is also, it's almost like it's bigger than we are. He doesn't take it away from us. Even though we turn against God, like the prodigal son, we use that gift to turn away from our Father in heaven and yet he still doesn't take it away or, or stymie it or truncate it and compromise it in any way. He lets us be free to choose. And he gives us, allows us to have what we want. He, God may not be happy about what we chose, but he doesn't stop us. Just like the father and the prodigal son doesn't stop us. And when we choose, it's a heartache. We'll say it's a heartache for God, even though he doesn't real feel heartache in the sense that we do, because he's God, he's happy, but he, we say that he feels the heartache for us. He, he, he mourns for us in a way. So do parents. So I as a priest for my spiritual children, when I give my life to help people grow in the truth, hopefully become faithful Christians, Catholics, and then they turn away, choose something else. It's a hurt for me, too. After all, I am called father. These are my spiritual children. I devote my life to them. When I see them go astray, it hurts. And there's nothing you can do to convince them. You can try, but there's nothing you can do once they make that choice. What you can do, though, is to hope and to pray, just like the father in this gospel story did. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. He doesn't force us back. Sometimes I wish he would. 
I wish it would just force us back, force things to be right. Like we see in the world right now, we're ending, we're ending such a period of darkness. We wonder, where is God? Why don't you just fix it, God? No, he's allowing everybody's free will to play out. And we have to endure the consequences. Yes, he does intervene in our time and place and history. But a lot of times he just lets it play out. He lets us exert and live by our choices, our free will. But we have to then endure the consequences, both dark consequences and consequences of light. And this is what happened in the story of the prodigal son. God waits for us to turn back, to come back to ourselves, our true selves, the way he created us. That's what this Sunday is telling us. And it's preparing us for that method, that period, the technique, as it were, of turning back our repentance, our humility and repentance. God has been humble up to this point. Now it's our turn for our own humiliation so that we can rise with God. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Radio is it's training for the troops. It's a interaural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic Radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!